0: Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life, Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we have the opportunity to reflect into the richness of the Gospel text this 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time, that is going to afford us to not only look at Jesus as uh, the Good Shepherd for sure, but also one who has pity, uh, one who has compassion, compasio for those who are without a shepherd. And lastly, it will also provide for us the opportunity to uh, look at the importance of taking a vacation, of of retreating, of, of resting, turning our uh, holidays into Holy Day. So we will look at all of this this evening, and I am flying solo this evening, so if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or again, you can just go to my website at joeholcraft.org, that's J-O-E-H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T dot org. Shoot your question to me, just go to the website, hit the contact link button there, and send uh, your question on its way. I love to talk about Jesus and the church he founded, so please do not hesitate to send me your questions, send me your observations. Okay, so with that, let us uh, turn our attention to the reading. If you have your Bibles out there, you can go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 to 34. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place, and rest awhile, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. Now many saw them going, and knew them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns, and got there ahead of them. As he landed, he saw the great throng, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Amen. So the themes of sheep and shepherding, huh? I mean, this flows all throughout sacred scripture. And this evening, the moving gospel story of Jesus having compassion on the crowds that were like sheep without a shepherd help us to focus in on his ministry of teaching, reconciling, and shepherding. You know, the Old Testament frequently uh, described the Lord himself as what? But the shepherd of his people. This is one of the great themes of the Old Testament. Individuals invoked him as what? What does Psalm 23, 1 say? My shepherd. And the community prayed to him uh, in Psalm 81 as the shepherd of Israel. In the New Testament, the image of the shepherd expresses great authority and responsibility. Nourishing the flock means that the shepherd must protect them from heresy, ever ready to defend the sheep from rotters. John tells us that Jesus himself proclaimed that he fulfilled Israel's hope for the coming of the good shepherd. What did he say? John chapter 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When Jesus withdraws with his disciples to a deserted place to rest, something interesting happens a great number of people follow him now this is interesting for us today i think because my dear friends <laughs> we know what this looks like in uh, the context of american popular culture there is a craze an absolute craze over seeing someone famous i, I get it you know it's it's fun to see famous people and It's kind of novel, and there might even be a nostalgia to it. Sure, I get that. But at what point does that encounter become something that is actually transformative in a positive way? I know uh, last night was what, the SBS, okay? A great number of people walking the red carpet. Well, okay, we take our pictures, we take our snapshots, We see these folks, these stars, just not athletes, but also actors, actresses, musicians. They all show up for these kinds of things. And in many ways, what's really interesting is how these people seek it out. They live in this fear of missing out. I remember uh, Tom Brady, the famous quarterback for the New England Patriots. (laughs) In the morning, he's at the Kentucky Derby. And on that same night was the great fight between Pacquiao and uh, Mayweather. And there he is. He made the flight with his private jet from, the, from Kentucky to, uh, where was that fight, Las Vegas? We live in this fear of missing out, and, and it's really fascinating that the actors, actresses, musicians, uh, stars, athletes, they live in the fear of missing out. They seek to be sought. Isn't that interesting? They seek to be sought. But I bring all of this up because as much as we talk about it, it doesn't have a transformative power over us, at least again in the positive sense. When we encounter Jesus, now that's different. There's a reason why they sought him out in the droves, throngs of people as it is described in sacred scripture. Huh? So we can say we saw this person or that person, but we have to ask ourselves the question, what's the big deal (laughs) in the end? Again, I know, you know, I've seen a few famous people and it's fun, but in the end, what's the big deal? We should be seeking Jesus Christ out because he is the only one who can transform us. That is the encounter we should be thirsting for. If we are going to live in the fear of missing out, let it be known that the one you do not want to miss out on is the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, that being said, Jesus is the new and great shepherd who was what? Moved with pity. Moved with pity and as I've reflected upon mercy in the past, I want to do so again at least briefly to really highlight the importance of this word, pity. Uh, what do I mean? Well, let us first understand mercy for what it is. You know, as John Paul II reminds us in his work, Rich in Mercy, the Bible tradition and the whole faith life of the people of God provide unique proof that mercy is the greatest of the attributes and perfections of God. As John Paul II explores mercy in its Old Testament vision. He reminds us that there are two principal Hebrew words found in the Old Testament that translate as God's mercy. And I go here because it's going to help us better understand what we need to understand as it relates to Christ's pity. So the first Hebrew word is this, hasad. Hesed best translates in the Hebrew as a steadfast love, a blood bond of love. In effect, covenant love. Love defined not by the exchange of things, but persons. He in me and I in him. For this reason, someone who has the attribute of hesed is someone you can always count on. Someone who never lets you down. As noted by many Old Testament scholars, We are ultimately to see Hasid as containing the meaning of faithfulness to oneself, to one's own promises and commitments to others. Now, the second term for God's mercy in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word rahamim. Now, this word is defined as tenderness, compassionate love, which can be best understood as a love that springs from the innermost place of God's being. The root word to rahamim is a word that literally translates the abdominal region. Again, why we speak of God's uh, mercy as uh, tender. It is God's gentle touch. Someone who has and possesses this attribute is someone who feels for your plight and is moved with compassion to help you. Rahamim is often used in conjunction with hesed because together they Uh, orchestrate the symphony of that chief attribute of God's love, mercy, as John Paul II spells out so beautifully in his great encyclical, Rich in Mercy. Consequently, my friends, the Latin base for the word mercy is misericordiae, which translates what? Sorrowful at heart. Misericordiae, misery, heart, to feel for someone else's misery compassion, a compasio, to suffer with. You feel for someone. This is the glove ball fit to the Old Testament vision of mercy because it is the movement of the heart that is shaken at the sight of the other's plight and moves to do something, going out of itself and toward the other. It is the act of love of God that wants to fill every void and darkness in the human heart with what? Life and joy. The great theologian and teacher, St. Thomas Aquinas, he says, Mercy is the compassion in our hearts for another person's misery, a compassion which drives us to do what we can to help him. Okay, now, (laughs) we might better understand what we mean to talk about or ought to talk about when it comes to Christ's compassion. Because our Lord's pity, this is a deep anguish. Remember what Rahamim literally means, abdominal region. Our Lord's pity, defined as a deep anguish, is a gut-wrenching type of anxiety and sorrow over the condition of people. Jesus was describing the spiritual lives of those who were living outside of the salvation so freely offered by God. And what Jesus felt was gut-wrenching. He was feeling this anguish over the souls of these people who were facing what? Spiritual starvation without someone to feed them, teach them, and lead them to true spiritual nourishment. They were in danger without a shepherd to protect them from false teaching. And like sheep without the good shepherd, they were what? Alone. They were what? Vulnerable to who? The adversary who roams around like a what? Roaring lion, as Peter reminds us, seeking someone to devour, like sheep without a shepherd. This is a very accurate description of the spiritual lives of many in the 21st century. The expression describes all of us who abandon the shepherd, all of us who are directionless, helpless, and vulnerable to the seductions and attacks of the adversary. Sheep without a shepherd, it is more than just being a little lost. It is more than just being a little vulnerable. To speak to the shepherdless flock is to speak of a people facing danger and destruction. And so what did our Lord do? If you were to go to Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 to 35, what do we read? he saw people possessed by demons and his compassion did what freed them. In that biblical narrative, he tells a story of a king who was owed a huge debt by a servant. When the servant could not pay, the king ordered him thrown into slavery along with his family. When the servant pleaded for mercy, the king had what? Compassion on him and forgave the huge debt. This is God's mercy all throughout the gospel narratives, we read of the greatness of God's mercy. How about Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, where Jesus spoke about a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Many of us know the story. That poor fellow that fell among thieves and was beaten, was robbed, and left to die. Two high-ranking religious officials passed by him. But who stopped? A Samaritan. Of all people, a Samaritan. A Samaritan had compassion on him. A Samaritan bandaged the man's wounds and carried him to an inn where he nursed him through the night. The next day, he paid the bill and gave the innkeeper his credit line, saying, What? I will repay you whatever more you spend. (laughs) And Of course, who can forget the great narrative that comes to us from Luke chapter 15? that all thought-provoking story of the younger son who took his inheritance and squandered it in loose living, where one day he would come to his senses. He came to himself, as the narrative says, and returned to his father's house, not hoping to be restored as a son, but wanting only to be hired as a servant. This is maybe the most striking thing about the whole narrative. No expectation. His father saw him coming and was filled with what? Compassio. Compassion. Before the son can even utter his speech of repentance, the father placed on him a ring and robe and shoes and called for what? We know the story, a royal feast. The compassion of Jesus heals and feeds, forgives huge debts, nurses hurt bodies back to health, and welcomes home sinners. Doing what? but restoring them to a place of honor. Here I'm reminded of the story of uh, Mother Teresa. When she was once asked, and I dare say challenged with her work, someone posed the question, why do you do what you do? You know they're going to die. What good do you serve anyways? And her response was, my duty is to love that these people I serve may be reminded of who they belong to and that they die with dignity, that they die with honor, that honor that is defined by who they are as sons and daughters of God. Mother Teresa said that they die with dignity, a sense of honor, a sense of who they belong to, because at one time in their life, these people that Mother Teresa served were ostracized, but she helped bring them back into a living community, even while dying. Amen to that. Jesus will not let his compassion stay with God or stay in heaven. What does he command us in the Beatitudes? Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Blessed are the merciful. These are very, very important words. That being said, Jesus did a lot more than just feel compassion for those in today's gospel story that comes to us from Mark chapter 6. His strong emotion moved him to act far beyond what any shepherd would be expected to do for his sheep. Anyone who calls himself a shepherd must love the people entrusted to him and imitate Jesus as Jesus reminds us to do so. Now, it is by no accident that in the thick of his ministry and burdened by the unrelenting needs and demands of the crowd that Jesus called his disciples to join him in the desert. What does he say? What did he read? Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while. My dear friends, if we are going to be participators in the aforementioned mercy and compassion, We must first receive this mercy. And sometimes this means going on retreat, getting away, vacating, going for a holiday. Mindful that again, when we speak of a holiday, we mean days that are made to be holy, holy days. Because this whole idea of getting away and resting on retreat and vacation is not lost on Jesus. He taught them to do what he did to balance action and contemplation, to go from contact with people to secret, and regenerating dialogue with oneself and with God. This is a theme of great importance and timeliness for us today, because the rhythm of life has acquired a speed that surpasses our capacity to adapt. It's so easy for us today to lose the capacity for critical separation, which allows one to exercise a kind of dominion over the flow of life that is so often chaotic and disordered, of the circumstances and and daily experiences that so often overwhelm us. We need to recollect that great virtue of pulling back, that great virtue of drawing back, that virtue which allows us to discern things for what they are. Remember what the word discern means, in it's Latin, to come to understand. We can only understand a thing for what it is or an encounter for what it is when we pull back. It is, again, that uh, image of one who is up close to a picture. Only in taking the necessary steps back can one appreciate the picture for what it is, for how the artist intended us to see it. Huh? Well, in the same way in the Christian life, we need to retreat, we need to withdraw as Jesus himself did, so we can see things better for what they are. It is so difficult to see things sometimes when we're caught up in the tempest winds of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We need to get out of the storm to reclaim that peace so that, in turn, we can become the calm in the storm. Jesus, in today's gospel, and all throughout, really, the gospel narratives, never gives the impression of being agitated by hurry. And this is interesting. Even on occasion, not letting himself be found, absorbed as he is in prayer. Sometimes, as in our gospel passage, he even invites his disciples into this sacred space. Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while, he says. He often recommends, in fact, that one not be harassed. Our bodies need respite. Our bodies need respite. We need to appreciate uh, our bodies for what they can do and for what they cannot do. My wife and I have been joking about this recently as we are now currently in a move. We are moving to the other side of Chico, California. The last three, four days, uh, there's been a lot of back and forth from one house to another. You know, and at the end of the day, you know, your legs and your body are just barking, you know, telling you to stop, telling you to take rest, because if you don't, soon enough you're just going to become dysfunctional. So we need to rest, and our Lord understood this. He understood the importance of the pause, we can say. And may we say that among these pauses, are precisely the summer vacations for which we are living in these summer days, huh? It's interesting, Father Cantla Mesa makes the point, you've heard me quote him before, you know, to the commandment, remember to keep the Sabbath holy. One should add, remember to keep vacations holy, Uh, because even in the Psalms says God, stop, literally, vacate, take a vacation, know that I am God. So how do we do this? in our vacations. A simple thing to do might be to enter a mountain church or, or a chapel at a time when it is empty, to spend some time there apart, alone with ourselves before God. I remember Benedict Sixteenth towards the end of his pontificate, reflecting upon the importance of, in our vacations, spending more time with God, really turning these times away holidays into holy days, making sure that uh, they are respite in God, making sure that we are truly drinking in God's wonder and God's beauty. I remember last summer, we all came together, my wife's side of the family, and to Yosemite. And I don't know if any of you have ever been to Yosemite out there, the great national park here in the United States. Truly, truly, as it was coined by one, that place is God's natural cathedral. You cannot help but take in God. We must contemplate God's natural beauty, especially when we are in such a place like that of uh, Yosemite. Okay, with that, I wanted to close with some words that come to us uh, from Benedict the Sixteenth. These are words that he actually spoke at the beginning of his pontificate, uh, some of those first words after he was installed as Pope. And these words really do highlight the importance of what a shepherd is all about. Uh, this is Benedict Sixteenth. The pastor must be inspired by Christ's holy zeal. For him, it is not a matter of indifference that so many people are living in the desert. And there are so many kinds of desert. There is the desert of poverty the desert of hunger and thirst, the desert of abandonment, of loneliness, of destroyed love. There is the desert of God's darkness, the emptiness of souls no longer aware of their dignity or the goal of human life. The external deserts in the world are growing because the internal deserts have become so vast. I love that line. Benedict continues, therefore the earth's treasures no longer serve to build God's garden for all to live in, but they have been made to serve the powers of exploitation and destruction. The church as a whole and all her pastors, like Christ, must set out to lead people out of the desert towards the place of life, towards friendship with the Son of God, towards the one who gives us life and life in abundance. Boy, aren't those striking words! And if I did not know any better, <laughs> If you just happened to start listening after I said Benedict the Sixteenth, and you didn't hear Benedict the Sixteenth, you would have concluded that this to be an address of Pope Francis. I mean, listen to these words. And there are so many kinds of desert. There is the desert of poverty, the desert of hunger and thirst, the desert of abandonment, of loneliness, of destroyed love. Listen to Benedict. Therefore, the earth's treasures no longer serve to build God's garden for all to live in but they have been made to serve the powers of exploitation and destruction. My dear friends, that's the essence of Pope Francis' last document, his last encyclical, huh? So many of us want to put one pope against the other. Here you see the direct continuity between our current pope and his predecessor. Interesting. Um, And what is more interesting is the message itself, right? The message that belongs to Uh, what it means to be a true pastor. And and by the way, the word pastor in the Latin means a shepherd. Pastor and shepherd have the same root word. So as we conclude this week, may our prayers be for awareness, compassion, and courage. Uh, Let us this week, my dear friends, beg the Lord to make us more aware of the vast and growing deserts in which our contemporaries and perhaps even we are living today. Let us ask the Lord to give us his compassion for those who truly are sheep without shepherds. We need to evangelize all circles, all walks of life, both local and beyond. So let us pray for the courage to help lead our friends out of their deserts and into the places of life and friendship with Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. Mindful that anywhere and everywhere, all the time, we must first be evangelized by the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of this evening, for the gift of this 16th Sunday uh, in Ordinary Time, where you provide for us another opportunity. To reflect into not only the richness of your living word, your word on fire, but that it might actually penetrate and invade our souls, that we might integrate it into our daily life. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.